Welcome back to the Deliberate Leaders Podcast. I am your host and executive coach, Allison Dunn. I am super excited to have our guest back in the studio with us for a second time. Today, we have joining us Julie Winkle Guglioni. She is a champion for workplace growth and development and helps executives and leaders optimize talent and potential in their, within their organizations. She is a speaker, a co-author of the book, Help Them Grow or Watch Them Go. Her latest book is Promotions Are So Yesterday, and that is due to be released um, early this spring. Julie, thank you so much for joining us here today. Oh my goodness. Thank you for having me back. I've been looking forward to this. Me too. I love it when we have returning guests because it just, we build on the conversation. Um, I'm sure that I asked you this question last time, but I always like to just, you know, see if there's a new tip. So what, um, what would be your number one leadership tip for our listeners? Oh gosh, it is so fundamental and yet so powerful. Um, talk less, listen more. At the end of the day, if leaders just walked away talking less and listening more, asking good questions, giving people the floor, giving folks the space to to think and reflect and to come up with their own ideas and to own solutions, um, to build relationships, you know, every day we we pick up the news and, and there's more about the great resignation. I really, really believe that if leaders just talked less and listened more, we would be in a different, uh, we would be in a different place. Yeah. I think that um, listening to people is one of the most amazing gifts that we can give. And I think as leaders, we've I think we fall into this um, habit of if we're not speaking, then we're not leading somehow. And that's just not true. It's true. You know, you're so right. I think we do. A lot of us grow up through the ranks and we really do believe that the value that we add as a leader is the content when really the value is being the container Mm -hmm. for others to create the content and, and move it all forward. And then there's just, you know, the the fundamental busyness that we all have. And it's, it feels more efficient from a time standpoint to just lay it out there and tell it and move on to the next. And yet, you know, good leaders know that you pay now or you pay later, you might invest a little more now, but then you've got the ownership, the execution and things just um, roll out more smoothly. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you very much for that tip. That's a great one. So the new book, Promotions Are So Yesterday, please tell me, tell me more. (laughs) Well, thank you for asking uh, about more. You know, the last time I was on, we talked about my first book, Help Them Grow or Watch Them Go, which I've had so much fun with over the last 10 years and two editions. And as I've been out working with leaders, helping them understand the value of career conversations, many leaders and managers have taken it in, they've raised their game, but still they're saying, yeah, but Mm -hmm. I, I can have these good conversations. You know, I have some skills, I have great questions and a methodology now, but At the end of the day, if my people are still just wanting promotions and that next move and that next position, and I don't have that to offer them, what's the point? 
And so a lot of managers, despite learning some skills and even being sold on the whole idea, they still have um, been reluctant to jump in with both feet because of these assumptions about what people want. And what I found over these last 10 years of field research and talking to hundreds of thousands of individuals is careers are much bigger than that. You know, careers aren't just about that next position or, or the, the move or the promotion or the title. When I talk to people about what careers mean to them, the conversation gets deep really fast. You know, they talk about wanting to make a difference and connect with other human beings and, and feel good at something, feel accomplished and, and like they're mastering something and have flexibility and choice and control and ease and meaning. I mean, there's so much more that people are looking for out, uh, that they're looking for their jobs, you know, to the kind of jobs they want their jobs to do for them. Um, and yet managers not being aware of that don't have the language or the confidence to delve into those conversations. So I just really felt like it was time to put together a framework that would help managers understand the broader definition of careers and give them some alternatives that are more doable, more available to them. Whereas, you know, promotions are sort of periodic. What can they do with people day in and day out to help make sure people are growing and feeling engaged and are really thriving in their work? So I appreciate, um, there's a couple of points that you've just brought up. The fact that, you know, if, um, if you don't have an area to promote someone to, it's not like, you know, the next title or whatnot, then, you know, like, how do you show them a career path in some way? Mm -hmm. um, so if promotions were so yesterday, how does someone show that they have career potential and career development within a company? Let's talk that through. Yeah. And that really is the fundamental question. In the past, we have defined career development in terms of the path toward that next position whatever it might be. And unfortunately, in today's environment, that next position might not be there by the time we get there. You know, the Institute for the Future of Work has done that work. 85% of the jobs we'll be doing in 2030 haven't been invented yet. So the whole idea of career paths in many cases, uh, cases is a little off. The other thing is, you know, it was reflecting on my very first business trip as a young professional. And I remember we went to Paris and I was so excited about seeing all the landmarks, the Champs-Élysées and Arc de Triomphe and the Eiffel Tower. And I've got, you know, lots of pictures of those in the photo album. But when I think back on that trip, what I really remember, Allison, is the stuff in between. You know, I wore out a pair of shoes because I didn't want to get on the metro and miss anything. Um, learning French toasts. There was this one elderly woman in a shop who wrapped up the soap so beautifully that it is still wrapped up 20 years later. Um, it's the stuff that was in between that really made a difference, that was meaningful. And I really see career development in much the same way. We are so attached to these landmarks you know, the promotions, the titles. And yet what people really care about is what's in between and beyond. And, you know, those, those um, moments 
that, and that's where the, the learning and the growth and the meaning is made. And so for leaders, the way we sort of pivot is through a reimagination of or an expanded definition of what careers are and what career development looks like. And the good news is I've done some research and there are actually seven broad categories, um, dimensions beyond that climb up the corporate ladder that really mean a lot to people and are ways to help them grow and remain engaged. Are you willing to share what those seven areas are? I am so willing to. Okay. Thank you for asking. Yeah. So, you know, there's the climb up the corporate ladder, the, you know, growth through promotions. That's always going to be a thing. And, you know, while I say it's so yesterday, it's a, a little cheeky, it's still on the table. There are times over the course of our working lives where that is the right focus for our growth. Absolutely. But it's out of our control. And so what else is available within our control? So the other seven dimensions are contribution. People want to step up. They want to step in. They want to make a difference. They want to live on purpose. They want to be of service. And that's a huge opportunity to tap greater engagement and give people opportunities for really powerful growth. Second dimension is um, competence. You know, I think most folks in the workforce today really understand that if we're not committed to lifelong learning, um, we're, we could be in trouble. You know, we need to be proof, future-proofing our, our careers on a regular basis. And so that means building capacity, um, expanding our skills, really staying current so we can function well today, but also, you know, in future opportunities. Uh, a third dimension is connection. And that's just so profound, especially these days, given, you know, how we've been scattered to the wind and have so much uh, remote and hybrid work, but people really feel uh, a need to cultivate community, cultivate their networks, cultivate really meaningful human relationships. And there is tremendous growth that comes from that kind of, of focus on connection. Another is confidence. And, you know, it's a, an interesting one that we normally, I don't think, would associate with career development. But I know for myself, there are points in my career where clearly the most important thing for me to do is to double down on building that sense of assuredness that I've got this. You know, my, my performance is going to be predictable. Um, and so confidence building is, is a huge opportunity in terms of career development. And of course, the lack of confidence can certainly put a real ceiling on your, on your career opportunities. And then there are three more challenge, which is frequently associated with, um, with career development, but really helping people figure out what's that right stretch that's gonna teach them what they need to know, that's gonna give them that sense of, of achievement and, uh, and push the limits of their capacity. There's contentment, again, kind of a new entry to the field of career development, but there are times in all of our careers where the best step forward is to take a step back. You know, when you think about how long we're all going to be working, we got to sustain our energy and our, you know, enthusiasm and ourselves. And so there are times when we have to double down on contentment. You know, how can we find ease and meaning and balance so we can 
be there for the long haul. And then there's choice. And that one has certainly become a, a hot topic these days. Definitely. You know, that whole autonomy, volition, flexibility that people are looking for, the ability to increase your authority, maybe have more uh, decision-making capacity, which is instructive. And, you know, we learn a lot from the decisions we make and the outcomes of those decisions. And so then there's also the climb up the corporate ladder as well um, that comes into play. So those are the eight dimensions altogether, seven of which are unique in that they are completely within the purview and the control of managers and employees. Whereas the promotions, you know, sort of live over here and are doled out uh, on a different basis. Um, I, there, you, you've chosen a selection of very powerful words that represent each of the seven dimensions out, you know, that we can, can control. Um, in your research, um, have you found that people are in one dimension only, or do they need multiple dimensions to be happening at the same time to help fulfill that promotion trigger that we all want. Like we're yeah. All yeah, or that alternative. Right. Yeah, you know, what's interesting is as we look at the research, folks tend to gravitate toward one okay. of the dimensions that they're most interested in. And then they have some backups, you know, that kind of fall down. And then they have a group down at the bottom that just is, don't bother me with this right now. And what's interesting about that is if we can take those few at the top, it gives the employee and the manager a lot of room to maneuver because the truth is at any given time in an organization, some of these dimensions are gonna be more or less available to folks. You know, there might be business pressures that make it impossible to layer on a new challenge, for instance, if that was someone's top choice. But if their second connect, second um, highest, most interesting dimension is, say, connection, then we could go into that and find ways. How can we make more of that happen for them until the, the challenge opportunity is there? So... Um, what I think the framework gives managers is a little pool of data to work with and some options that they can maneuver around based upon, you know, the business needs. Because the reality is development doesn't happen in a vacuum. It's not one-sided, employee only. It's got to also support the needs of the business. And so how do we meld these at any given time? And I should probably say, too, they're going to change over time. You know, I think about my own experience. Um, you know, there was a time when confidence was absolutely, when my first book came out, I, I should have felt on top of the world and my confidence just tanked while I kind of figured out my new role and what I could do and how this was going to work for me. Um, and once I got that down, then I was ready to move on to the next challenge. So it's going to change for us too over time. In, um, in the framework you've outlined, um, I think it's a great discussion structure uh, to create um, with each individual, um, I'm going to say employee, whoever's on your team, right? Um, how, what's the process that you would suggest someone, if they're going to incorporate all of these dimensions, like how do you start? What do you do? Yeah, yeah. So as a manager, you know, it, it kind of harkens back to what I was saying when, when you asked about the tip, talk less, listen more sort of thing. As a manager, the key really is to set the 
the table for a conversation that allows you to learn as much as possible about what's most interesting to the employee. Because the more the manager understands, the more fodder they have for making those matches in the workplace and finding those ways to connect a need that the individual has with a need that the business has um, to be able to make it a real win-win. And so um, the first step would be that learning kind of intake process, if you will. And we developed a self-assessment that's in the book, just a a paper-based one, but we've also digitized it and have a a free version of it on the uh, website. And a manager who's interested could send his employees or her employees to that site to complete the assessment. It takes about 15 minutes. And the output is a confidential report that's emailed to the employee only that gives them an overview of all of the dimensions and sort of why promotions are so yesterday, kind of helps the manager with that sales job a little bit. But then it shows them a bar chart of how their dimensions line up there in terms of their interest and dives into that one dimension of interest with some additional thoughts, ideas, perspective, and gives folks a set of reflection questions so they can walk away and start thinking about this. So if an employee or the person on someone's team uh, completed that and then was willing to bring that to the conversation, I mean, can you even imagine the richness that comes from that? And then the, the manager has that basis for beginning to prioritize what's most interesting, map it with what's going to be most available set a goal, a real development goal for the folks so that it's not just more work, you know, that it really is a development assignment and then execute on a plan. Okay. Does your book outline some, um, some not creative, but like um, examples of how someone could find how to handle contentment as a a dimension, how to handle confidence as a dimension so that um, they're not left with, oh, great. Now I need to figure out how to structure you know, challenge makes sense to me, but you know what I mean? Like there may, may be others that may be more challenging when when you're the manager trying to now fulfill that. Yeah, yeah. But even challenge, just to push back on you for a sec, Allison, even challenge that seems kind of simple, yeah. most managers haven't thought that through beyond a stretch assignment special project, right? right? I mean, we just don't have a lot of these organic development experiences at our fingertips. And so, yeah, the book is actually set up, I think of it more as a workbook or, you know, a a guide, a playbook, almost each of the chapters digs into one of these dimensions in details, talks a little bit about why it's important, the context, but the lion's share of it is specific tools, strategies, templates, worksheets that you can sit down and use with an employee to help move it along. And so I really think of it, you know, people ask, you know, how should I read the book? And I kind of think of it as just staying one chapter ahead of your next employee's interests. You know, if you just read that chapter, if you knew that, you know, Allison was really interested in contribution, then read that chapter the night before and bring it. You've got a toolkit to work with. Julie, how often um, should the um, concept of this career development in dimensions when there isn't necessarily a a career climbing opportunity, how often do you have these conversations? All the time. All the time. Yeah. You know, um, when I think about 
other things that are so yesterday. Um, one of them is that annual career development conversation that we all grew up or many of us grew up with. And that is so yesterday as well. The idea that, you know, even twice a year, you think about how much the world has changed in the last six months. And, um, and it's a pity when development isn't allowed to keep up with that changing pace of need in the business and whatnot. So, you know, my recommendation really is that managers find a way to incorporate a thread of development in every single conversation they have. Every one-on-one should speak to development. How are your plans going? Are they still relevant? What are you interested in today? Where do we want to think about tomorrow uh, in terms of shifting activities that are really going to keep you engaged and, uh, and growing in the direction that you want? Yeah. Um, is, I've, um, can I ask you, I guess it's a, a specific example. I can think of a few scenarios where um, an organization has um, tried to have that conversation, but then left the individual feeling very confused. Mm-hmm. About, so they're asking me if I would be interested in being the future blank, the blank. But um, so is it, um, so how do you guide people along so that you don't leave your, your team member that you're trying to nurture confused about what it is they're supposed to focus on? Yeah. Oh, that is such a great um, question and such a pervasive challenge, you know, in many organizations. From my perspective, all of that boils down to the the fundamental problem that we have in the workplace and, you know, in the world and in general is this focus on what people want to be versus what they want to do. And if we keep focusing on what they want to be, the role, the position, that kind of thing, that's where the confusion lies, you know, because if, are you asking me to be the vice president? What's it going to take to be the vice president? If I check all these boxes, can you guarantee me I'm going to be the vice president? And the answer, of course, is no. And will that vice president role even be there, you know, in two years when I have the skill set for it? So, um, so the managers that I see who are most successful in terms of development conversations are shifting from the, where do you see yourself in three to five years? So what do you want to be when you grow up? What seat do you want to sit in? What role do you want to have? And they're talking more about what do you want to do? You know, what does success really look and feel like to you? What's the nature of the work? I mean, who do you want to work with? What customers, what products, what materials, you know, depending upon the the business, what do you want to learn? And when we start going in that direction, then we're building a more multidimensional approach to what the career is. And when, as and if that, you know, vice president role presents itself, we can evaluate the extent to which someone is, is ready for it. But that, you know, even those pathways anymore, they really feel like promises to people. Seriously. Yeah. Confusing. It leaves people a little befuddled. I'm, um, I'm super intrigued. Could you just tell us a little bit about the research that you've done and how this has impacted your, this particular book? Yeah. So the, the field research was really the last 10 years, every keynote workshop meeting, everywhere I went, everyone I saw, the question was, what does career development 
and oh, I'm sorry, what does career mean to you? And those data points over time started mapping to these dimensions. And so I knew when I put the model together, I knew that it was a viable model and that these dimensions you know, were interesting to folks. The question was how interesting, you know, when they were really laid out against that traditional measuring stick of career success, which is the promotion. So we did a, a research study, a global validation study, um, 750 folks. And we kept it pretty, well, we had lots of different dimensions, but this part of it, we kept it pretty simple. We just defined each of these dimensions with one sentence and asked people to rank them from one to eight, which are most interesting to you right now. And so I kind of held my breath and waited for the, the data to come back and was beyond blown away because Allison, in aggregate, all of the other seven dimensions are more interesting to people than climbing the corporate ladder. When, when we expand the menu beyond just a hamburger, people are ordering up the other stuff. You know, they just, again, haven't had the language for talking and thinking about this. Um, there was one uh, group, the 20-somethings, where uh, choice was their last, uh, their least interesting dimension, and the climb was second least interesting. And it's it kind of makes sense that maybe earlier entrants to the, the workforce don't feel the need for the same level of volition and, and autonomy and whatnot. They're kind of getting their bearings. Um, but in aggregate, when we looked at the, the gestalt, climb was dead last. And it was contribution and uh, competence that were one and two. People are most interested in learning and finding ways to contribute. And is there a more hopeful message for managers everywhere than that? Most definitely. Um, so in saying that, I'm curious, won't people still want to climb? And two, is it more relevant for a certain generational um, generation, just in general? Yeah, I think across the board, you know, regardless of our age, we're all going to want to at some point climb the corporate ladder. Yeah. And I think it may take a while of reconditioning um, several generations of us to expand this definition so that the climb, you know, isn't the end all and be all. Um, so it may take us a while to get there. But yeah, people are absolutely going to want the climb. Um, and we need to be prepared to support them. The beauty of this model is that those other seven dimensions are tools that we can leverage mm -hmm. to help those folks who want to climb when there's nowhere to climb to. You know, so, so frequently right now, well, I want to be that vice president. It's not there. Okay, I'm just going to sit on my hands and I'll wait till, you know, old Mr. Whomever dies. Um, those other seven dimensions give a leader a framework for saying, okay, got it. You want that role. Let's evaluate what's it going to take for you to be really ready to hit the ground running there. And then how could we perhaps look at you expanding your contribution and perhaps getting some more visibility, you know, while you're building some skills, or maybe you need to broaden your network. 
And that's what's going to give you the the support that you'll need to ultimately make that move. So it's about deploying what you've got control over against what you don't have control over. And in the process, maintaining someone's enthusiasm and, and, um, and positivity and kind of forward momentum, despite the fact that they're not making that leap to the next landmark to go back to my travel analogy. Yeah. I think um, empowering the individual and the manager to do things that they can can control is a gigantic um, influence for you know having the success of this. I love it. Um, have you found that um, certainly during these pandemic years, um, is the um, is the conversations different for managers in general with having remote staff? I mean, what what trends are you seeing that um, we should be thinking about? Yeah, and it's interesting to see because um, the total informal, unscientific, you know, uh, observations. It seems like managers are veering one direction or the other. Some managers are really struggling to keep a remote hybrid organization team together, and they're going a little bit dark. They're not communicating as much. Other managers have completely used this horrible set of circumstances for such good and have learned the value of communication and messaging and bringing the team together and really creating a human connection. And so the ones who are are succeeding are the ones who are really beginning to master that. Um, And their next challenge, I think, has more to do with this whole issue of, of proximity bias um, as we start thinking about, you know, institutionalizing more remote and, and hybrid work, managers are going to have to confront some, um, some feelings, some prejudices, some discrimination that might uh, arise because, you know, there might be different feelings about folks who are working at home versus those who are, you know, treading into the office every day. Um, And so starting to grapple with that is sort of an emerging trend um, that I'm seeing organizations um, begin to to look at. That's that's a very um, excellent observation. Um, Any any tips on how I know organizations that are grappling with that? There, There are some prejudices that are happening because of that difference. Yeah. Any insights as to one or two things that we should be thinking about as we communicate and address and make decisions based on those prejudices. Yeah. Yeah. I think the the first one that most directly answers your question is we just have to raise awareness. A lot of managers aren't even aware that this is going on in their heads. And so starting to have those conversations and create a safe space where managers and leaders can talk about, Hey, you know what, what work looks like is people being here and I need them there and I don't feel comfortable, you know, and I'm not sure they really are doing the job and having a safe space where, where leadership can, can process that. I think it's the first step toward just getting it out on the table so we can look at it for what it's worth and, and, uh, and start dealing with it. Tactically, what, uh, as I'm working with organizations who are dealing with this, the tactical thing that seems to make the biggest difference is really looking at your meetings. 
because meetings are the venue where your hybrid and your remote employees are showing up. That's their only window to the team as a whole. And those meetings many times are just not as productive as they might be. So we're working with a, a lot of organizations right now to look at how can we elevate the quality of those meetings. And it's not even you know any special hybrid strategies. It's just good meeting management. Do you have an agenda that actually engages everyone? Do you have the kind of agenda that encourages the dialogue among the, the whole team and a, a mechanism for doing that? Some organizations are going all remote. Even the people who are in an office co-located are dialing in from their individual computers so that there's an even you know, playing field. And so what tactics can we do during that meeting? Because that's really where it happens for those remote and hybrid employees. And how do we make sure that we're giving them the visibility and the engagement that they need to, uh, to ensure their success and the success of the team as a whole? All right. Outstanding tips. Thank you, Julie. Um, I know that your book is due to be released. You uh, implied that it's at the press right now. So um, do you have an actual official rollout date? We do. It will be released on March 8th, 2022 by ATD Press. Okay, fantastic. And where will people be able to get their copy? They can buy it from whatever their favorite bookseller is. And I know so many of us just click right on through to Amazon and pre-orders are available now. Okay, I will make sure that I add the Amazon link once the um, once it actually is released out. In the meantime, I'll put the to be released date. So meantime, that. and that's the cover. Beautiful, yep. love it. Um, Julie, what is the best way for folks to follow or connect with you? Thank you for asking. It's probably my website, juliewinklegiulioni.com. And I would imagine you'll put that in the show notes too, because it's a, it's a mouthful. I absolutely will. Julie, it has been such a pleasure. Thank you for all of um, the research that you've done around this topic and kind of not kind of, but actually developing a new uh, framework for us to be able to have better career, career development conversations. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Allison. It's great catching up.